Here come the blue shirts. If you weren't awake to play in that kind of game, then you weren't made to play hockey in Madison Square Garden. He's got experience in the streets and in the alleys. <laughs> and in the alleys. He will whoop your ass. <laughs> I'm looking better now than I did before. Ron, She's there, it's mates. all your fault. It's over for all of you. Once I'm on the team. Well, you're going to have to let me dress you, though. <laughs> oh, 100%. You can, that, that's going to be Ron Duguay's third act. Molly off the air. Wow. <laughs> Molly off the air. It's a whole different person. Yeah. Up in the He'll blue be court side and I'll be up in the blue seat. <laughs> Ooh. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Hope you all had a very happy Thanksgiving. It feels like we haven't been on this show for ages. It's been like a 10-day hiatus, but we're back and better than ever. And the first soiree into the video world. We all look pretty damn good so video was definitely needed joining the show a little bit later on is the great bill pedo of msg network and of course our weekly spot with the post larry brooks but now let's welcome in the host of up in the blue seats that would be the queen who i finally reunited with in person at the garden on wednesday night molly walker and her co-host rangers great number 10 ron Well, hello, everyone. Yes, I have a level of excitement today because we're doing audio video. And Jake, what the heck are you wearing? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't get the memo with the uh, clothing of wearing of what to wear. Molly, what's up with Jake? I know you saw him last night. You guys hadn't seen each other for two years. It was, and I seen photos of what you guys, how you embraced hugs and kisses. Mm-hmm. Jake is sitting there with the biggest smile on his face. He so missed you. So what was last night like when you guys got to see each other at Madison Square Garden? Well, I'll tell you, Jake looked like a real life hockey fan in his Rangers jersey and all. He was he was repping it, and I was I was pretty proud. We all know that hockey is a little bit lower on Jake's totem pole, but he. He really embodied the fan experience last night. But, yes, it was really good to see him. And, Jake, you look absolutely beautiful. Yo, listen, you you like seeing me, too. Ron's like he was happy. She was happy, too. It was I, of course, happy. was happy to see him, too. It was very mutual, very mutual. <laughs> yeah, it took. I, I needed oxygen getting up to the Chase Bridge to see her. So I needed some time to breathe getting up there. But, yeah, I figured Ron will have a. We'll have a blazer jacket off throughout these video recordings. You have a lot bigger and a wider selection. I basically just have gold and a couple other ones. But each show will have a we'll have different jacket and then see uh, who looks the best. So in watching the game last night, you guys were there. I'm at home watching on TV, and I had I, I can't imagine what it was like to be there to watch how the Rangers are playing. But hearing the chants, it used to be the king, right, Lundqvist. Now we're hearing. Igor, Igor, Igor. What was that like in a building, Molly? Deafening. Absolutely deafening. And real flashbacks to hearing Henrik, Henrik. So it, 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 I think it's it's pretty poetic that the Rangers were able to go from one franchise goalie to the next with the two-syllable first name. So I think it was meant to be. But obviously, more than warranted for Shesterkin's performance last night. I mean, just in that five-minute power play alone, on Dryden Hunt's charging major that he was called for, which we can get into in a second, just standing on his head, as he usually does. I think at one point he threw his goalie stick up in the air to redirect the puck 
to hit off the crossbar instead of going in. And then he lost his stick and Jacob Truba gave him his and he made another three saves without his goalie stick. And just how he does things like that. I I asked him about him after the fact and he was so nonchalant about it. He was like, oh, seven saves in five minutes. That's not really a lot. And I was like, okay, but it was it was it was more than warranted to to hear the fans screaming his name. It was unbelievable. Yeah. For me, just going into the game, the one I was cracking up, I'm still cracking up because you have the pleasure of talking to the players and you talk to Lundqvist and you asked him who is it that's mentoring you who is it that you're kind of looking at to yeah. help you as far as the defenseman and he makes mention of talking to Fox and Fox basically said because he's from Harvard right very smart yeah. guy Harvard he says li- yeah he's telling listen these guys don't be intimidated they're not that smart they're not <laughs> as smart as you think that was an all-time quote from Adam Fox and and sometimes sometimes you get those little nuggets and you just have to ask the right questions. And and when Lundqvist brought up Fox unsolicited, I said, this is an opportunity to, to pry in a little bit there and, and see what Fox has had to say to him. And he just comes in with that A1 quote, which Lundqvist probably didn't even realize was as funny as it was. And the comments online were hilarious. You know, this coming from a guy with a degree in psychology from a Harvard, you know, like, of course, Adam Fox is going to look at the rest of the league like, you're all not that smart. <laughs> yeah. And so we have a developing situation, by the way, to everyone. Today, our guest on the show will be my friend who I've worked with, I think, about 10 years, and that's Bill Pito. And I love speaking to Bill because Bill is a ultimate professional. What does he mean to you, Molly? I've watched him for so long, and it's similar with how I feel about you, Ron. I have such a respect for people that can do this whole on-camera thing all the time. Bill makes it look so effortless, so we get into it with him about that, and and it was really cool for me to get to meet him. But getting back to the Rangers, I think one of the main things I wanted to talk about was from the Bruins game. Not only was that one of the Rangers' best performances of the season I thought in my opinion just how they how they skated with with Boston and and really beat them at their own game almost you know and it had a playoff feel to it and I asked the players if they felt that and they said no but I personally felt like that game had had a playoff atmosphere to it it was a five to two win for the Rangers and then of course we see at the end of the game Brad Marchand and Artemi Panarin screaming at each other from the benches and then Panarin just hurls his glove over at over at Marchand, which was hysterical to watch unfold. I mean, but obviously it came out after the fact that Marchand made a couple of insensitive comments about Russia. And I did a lot of digging on that because, you know, when you bring in someone's country and where they're from and things like that, words can get lost in translation and it could be a little bit more serious than what people might think is just your regular trash talk. But I was told not only can the league not review audio from mic'd up content for subsequent disciplinary issues, because naturally the NHLPA would never have agreed to be mic'd up if anything that the players say could be used against them. But I also found out that the NHL just didn't think that anything that Marshan said was worthy of a fine or, or subsequent discipline at all. So I don't think we'll ever find out exactly what he said, although Brad did say uh, 
you know, no one from Russia likes you or something along those lines. And that just sent Panarin over the edge. But I'm curious, Ron, what was the worst thing that was said to you in a trash talk setting when you were a player? Well, I have to tell you, that was very much part of the game, but it really wasn't over the top because uh, words back then were fighting words. So if you were to say something to someone is essentially challenging them to a fight. For me, guys, if they would say anything to me, they would refer to me as the opposite of what I am. (laughs) And they would use words that would implement me or think of me as being gay. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm like, like, you're a pretty boy. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and and that sort of thing. So, but it, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as, I mean, there was a lot of cursing, but as far as being very specific, like calling someone on his mother or his sister, or, when I think about these situations and the league getting involved, I think it's best for the league to stay out of it and let the teams police themselves. Like Marshawn is going to have to play against the Rangers again. Now, if they think that it was enough, very offensive, then, you know, you just have to step up and let them know, listen, you just can't do that anymore. And that's why coaches will tell you the same thing. Gerard Gallant will say, I get angry. I'm going to get angry. Why? Because it's the nature of the game. I may say things to the officials, and the officials will take some of it because they get it and they understand it. So that's part of it. And most of the time, you don't really mean it. I mean, you're just trying to get under the other person's skin, right? Who was the best at it? Sean Avery, a former New York Rangers. Oh, Sean yeah. Avery. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, Sean was really good. And back in my day, there was many guys, but still, those were fighting words, and you just leave it on the ice. And most of the time, when you leave the game, it's, you just don't take it with you. Well, the NHL guys has to do a better job of, like, you know, five grand for hurting someone and then five grand for throwing a glove. I mean, how is it, you know, call a spade a spade or – Apple don't even Apple. get me started. I don't know the, the terminology, the phrase for this one, but uh, I mean, Subban got like five grand or whatever it was. Guys are getting the same amount. Like those aren't the same thing. Someone getting hurt versus getting hit by a glove off the bat. If you think about it, Artemi Panarin received the same discipline as Tom Wilson did for what he did to Pavel Buchnevich and Panarin. It, just how the league can think that those two separate incidents are equal and equal of the same disciplinary action is a joke. There's really nowhere else, no way else to say it. And my favorite thing to do when I'm writing about these sort of things is I'll put the $5,000 fine in relation to their cap hit and their salary and what percentage of it it is. And it's chump change. It is pennies to these guys. And if you want to see change in the league, if you want to, if you're really serious about changing the way things are, or, you know, some of these, you know, the slew foot that's going on right now, if they want to actually see change for these sort of things, the $5,000 fine means nothing. And yes, I know Subban, I think got $5,000 first, and then his second offense was 15,000. But again, it's just not I think suspension is really the only thing that is going to make a difference and make players realize that if they're going to play that way or do something like that, they're going to hurt their team because they won't be in the lineup the next night. And only then will I think there be change because otherwise the $5,000 fine is is just a joke in my opinion. Yeah. Well, in a positive note, uh, last night at the game, as I'm watching and I had no idea, but Stan Fisher was at the game and he's being honored now as he should have been, um, a few years pass, and he's going to go at the USA Hockey Hall of Fame. Molly, you were there. Did you have a chance? Did you see him at the game at all? Did you run into him? Or 
I actually didn't see him at MSG, but I have I saw him at the grand opening of the Islanders UBS Arena. And then the next time I was at UBS Arena, a couple nights later, when the Rangers played there, saw him then as well. I mean, there's so many good things to say about dear old Stan. And I think it's an absolute rite of passage in uh, the journalism industry. If you have interned for Stan Fischler at one point, there are a lot more of them, of us, than you would think. I feel like whenever I'm in the field and bonding with other reporters or journalists and I mention Stan's name, they'll be like, oh, I interned for him at one point in my career. And it's like, you know, so did so many other people. So, and I think that's why Stan has been able to stay so sharp and and lively, even at 89 years old, because he is constantly around young people and, and staying with it. He just started a column for the Hockey News for crying out loud. The guy is 89 years old and he is still writing as much as he is and and as well as he is. So uh, well-deserved on the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, well overdue, and the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto is next. I actually ran into him and said hello and said, you know, Jake from the podcast with Ron and Molly, I'm not sure he noticed or was listening or or heard me exactly, but, you know, he's a nice guy and uh, a lot of friends of the program. He's being introduced by Brad Park, who's been on the show and Ron Greshner, who is a, a good friend of the program. And uh, I ran it to Tom Laidlaw, who is also a friend of the program and said hi to Tom. He was doing meet and greets with the fans. Um, I should have said to Sam, you owe me roaming charges for when I called you from, uh, <laughs> from my Israel. phone, Israel, because it didn't work on WhatsApp. So uh, that'll be $25. Yeah, no, right. He, he, he's great and uh, well-deserved. You had a story about him. You told it before the show. Can you share that? That story of of you ran into him and and what happened? So Stan loves to feed me story ideas. He'll send me emails every once in a while. And uh, when I saw him at UBS Arena, I hadn't seen him in so long. And he was, you walk down the hallway at any arena and he is every, Stan, Stan, he gets pulled in a million in one direction. So he was standing in like a little powwow of like five or six other men. They're all talking to him and I walk over and I I didn't want to interrupt him. So I just kind of tried to say hi and give him a little hug. But as soon as he saw me, it was like the other guys there just weren't there anymore. And he he was like, oh, I have a story idea for you. And he's telling me and the other guys are looking at him. And then he looks over at the other guys. He just slowly starts guiding me away, (laughs) away from the guys because he doesn't want them to hear his story idea that he's giving me. It's just so Stan, just super on brand for him. And I'm so grateful for him and and all that he's taught me and, and what he's done for me over my career. He really has played such a big part of it for me. And I couldn't be happier for him. Alrighty. And the Igor chants uh, were the story of the day. I mean, I loved seeing that tweet that you had, Molly, about the tears that came down. I mean, you get into this industry to get quotes like that. And I'm sure when you heard that, you had a couple of tears flowing. You had the Kleenex (laughs) going in your Zoom room. (laughs) Absolutely. You You live for those kinds of quotes. And, you know, he just to ask him what it meant to him to hear. I mean, it was the loudest Igor chants I've heard since he became a Ranger by far uh, were the ones Wednesday night. So to ask him what that meant to him and, and how he felt hearing that, yeah, he just said that the most important thing for him is trying not to cry right then and there. And it's just like picturing this player in, the, in between the pipes and, and what it must be like for him. I can't even imagine as so early on in his career, how, how this fan base has just gone from one franchise netminder to the next. And I think all Rangers fans would consider themselves extremely lucky. 
That's for sure. Well, I can certainly relate to what he's feeling because first time for me, uh, as I was performing within four or five games, I felt like I had an opportunity. I share this with players all the time. Whenever you step on the ice, you can either be regular or be noticeable on the ice. And uh, the energy of the building just has you going so fast, so hard. And for me, the first chance of dudes, dudes, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Like when I played junior hockey, we're playing in front of three to 5,000 people. Then you get at Madison Square Garden, there's 20,000 of them. If you can imagine 20,000 people chanting your name, it there's nothing like it. And that's what you chase Every time you step on the ice, that's what brought the best out of me all the time. And people ask me, do you miss the game, Ron? Well, I miss playing, but miss hearing and getting attention from fans. And that's what you play for. That's why you work hard. That's why you perform. So I miss all of that. So I can I can relate to how he's feeling. Well, Alexi Lafreniere may not hear his name much by the fans if, if he gets his ass whooped like uh like that <laughs> happened. I mean, I, I guess you gotta have a few trial runs, right, Ron, to uh to get your fighting, to get your hands working uh, when it comes to Lafreniere. Yes, and and for me, so then here's the difference. Here's the difference between him and I and what how he grew up. I played junior hockey, major junior hockey. Major junior hockey is very similar to the NHL as far as the fa- the fighting. It there's so much fighting, you had to defend yourself. And it wasn't just a one-on-one fighting. It was line brawls, it was bench-clearing brawls. So by the time I got to the NHL, I kind of had a feel for knowing how to fight because there's a whole technique to it. When you're on skates, when you're on the ice, knowing how to grab a guy, know when to start a fight, when knowing not to start a fight. If you're at the end of your shift, the last thing you want to do is be get into a fight. And so just there's a technique to it. And I think uh, Ryan Reese will kind of give him some ideas on what to do because you can do this in practice. It's not like when you get into a real fight, but for me, I had practiced a lot at junior hockey. So what I'm trying to say is for him playing junior hockey, he said he'd never gotten in a fight. Well, how do you play hockey? Body contact, getting hit, you know, the accidental elbows to the face, sticks to the head. How do you not get angry and get into a fight? That part I don't understand but that's what's happening now in youth hockey and major junior hockey by the time some of these guys end up in the nhl they hadn't been getting in any fights and now you're having to go against men so i couldn't understand why he would want to shy away but i give him a lot of respect for deciding you know what i need to stand up and doing something because of, he's probably feeling the pressure of being more physical being more engaged and i think he's starting to get through coach gerard gallant that if you're not scoring you better be doing something, meaning finish your checks, get involved, get angry, show some emotion. So I think he was starting to get it. And for him, he acted it out this way. And he handled himself well. He's a big, strong kid. And when you're fighting, it's not like you need to go toe to toe. You could just grab a guy and throw him down. Just show that you're willing to engage. We may, we'll probably see him getting another fight with some practice with Ryan Reeves helping him. Yeah, Lafreniere actually did say that he has gone to the Ryan Reeves School of Fighting. He has taken a couple lessons from him. But, I, I mean, you're right, Ron. I, I was very surprised because when I asked him what number fight that was for him, I would not have guessed that he was going to say his very first one. Us in the room, we were dumbfounded when he said that. I, I mean, for a player of his caliber going through the QMJHL, I was like, nobody ever challenged you to a fight, you know, how good he is and, you know, how, how he dominated games. 
I was shocked. But yeah, he said it was his first one and he took exception uh, to the way Ryan Lindgren was hit. Uh, him and Adam Fox. That was that was pretty interesting to see uh, Fox get angry, too. But I think uh, that's a new aspect to this Rangers team is they are actively trying to be more defensive of one another and, and standing up for one another, considering how the way things ended last season. Yeah. Now, having said that, the player that I want to see give it a try is Keandre Miller. I mean, here's a big kid. He will take the body. He's physical. But he's shying away. And I bet you, Molly, if you asked him how many fights he's gotten into, it might be around the same kind of number. Because yeah, well, he, he's does... a college hockey kid, so they don't they don't fight in college. Yeah, so I'm assuming he's never gotten in a fight. Here's the thing. It's not the fear of losing the fight. It's the embarrassment of losing the fight in front of 20,000 people. Naturally. That's, that's, that's what you don't want to happen. I mean, you can take a punch to the head or take a punch to the face, but if you lose a fight and you look bad, that's the scary part. It's not the fight itself. And I think if you ask like any fighter, even a regular fighter who does it on a regular basis, what is his fear? The getting in a fight or losing, the embarrassment of losing. And it's really the losing the fight. Because to get a bloody nose, no big deal, right? We're used to that. But to lose a fight and get embarrassed, that's the tough part. Lafreniere and Keandre Miller will be heading to Cobra Kai with Ralph Macchio <laughs> the new dojo to learn a couple of moves. And uh, we'll see if they can get their black belts before they start fighting again. Well, a guy who has a black belt in writing, of course, is Hall of Famer Larry Brooks. And he's going to join up in the blue seats next. I got to tell you, I make it hot and spicy. Joining us now on Up in the Blue Seats is our one and only Hockey Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer at the post, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the New York Post. So I guess the only place to start here, Larry, is your most recent article about what's going on with Ryan Strom as, as far as negotiations with the team. Now, the last I had heard, there hadn't been any talks. And at that moment, there weren't any plans. So just what's the latest on that front? Yeah, the Rangers uh, have reached out to uh, Ryan Strong's representatives and they want to sign him. There's there's little doubt they want to sign him. You know, the value of the strong Canarin partnership is manifest. I, I you know, I, I think it, it, it's one of the uh, it's one of the defining characteristics of the team. Panarin, almost as much as uh, Shesterkin or, or Fox. I mean, it's, it's, it's really become a, a, uh, a tremendous attribute, and the Rangers want to keep them, want to keep them together. There are challenges, though. There's no question about it. There are real cap challenges coming up for the Rangers. Everyone has seen them coming for you know for months. Um, the signings of uh, Zabanajad and Fox have crystallized the issue. To the point, really, where the Rangers are going to have seven and a half, twelve, ten, twelve million dollars to sign seven players, um, and every time they take a big chunk out of it, it it, it leaves a real uh, impact. So Ryan Strome probably would be able to get more in the open market. The question is, you know, how how much is remaining in New York? How much is remaining on uh, Artemi Panarin's line worth to him? Uh, I'm not suggesting it should be worth. You know anything? I'm not, I'm not suggesting he should take a discount, but I think that's the way it would play out. I think he would have to take less in order to stay. You've also written about the possibility of bringing back JT Miller. Is that something that you think could actually materialize? Well, it's very difficult because again, they, they're 
I lo- I, I, I am a big uh, JT Miller guy. I, I think he would be a perfect player for this team. Um, I think you put him in the top six and however you want to do it, he's either playing with Panarin and, and Strom or he's playing with Zibanejad and Kreider. And I think actually I kind of like that better. But, you know, he has a big ticket for next year. His contract runs through next year. So I don't see how the math adds up for them to sign, you know, to extend Strom and add another big ticket for it. I, I, I don't see how that's going to work for them. So they may not be able to get JT Miller. They may, you know, they have, they have a ton of space this year. They basically can get any rental they want. Um, they can afford any rental they want. So the chances are that they will be in the rental market rather than the market for a player who go, whose contract goes through next year. Then again, if, if you know, if the Strom talks break down or if Strom doesn't sign an extension, then they have an opening to fit maybe JT Miller. When you said Ryan Stone could get more in an open market, it, it, my question to you, and I'm sure you've thought about this before, me being a Ranger, I can't imagine for me, back when I was playing, when I was up for a new contract, wanting to go play for another team. Once you've been a New York Ranger playing at Madison Square Garden, even though you can make a little bit more, does it make sense to you that a player just wants to make a little more to just go play anywhere? Well, you know, again, we're, 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 we don't know what, what's exactly being discussed, but let's say the Rangers offer strong four years at $5 million, And let's say his representatives think he can get a six-year deal for $6 million somewhere else. It's a fair amount of money. I would never tell a player to take less in order to stay in New York. You know, we know the taxes are high here. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. I think, though, to your point, I think that if the offers were similar or, or close or if he were leaving a slight bit of money on the table, then yeah, then, then I, I think he probably would choose to take a little less to stay. But I'm, I'm you know, I'm never going to tell somebody to take less. So part of the show today is honoring uh, a friend of yours, a friend of all of us, uh, Nestan Fischler, last night at the game Madison Square Garden. They made mention yeah. he's going to be in the USA Hockey Hall of Fame. I know you've known him for, I think, over 40 years. What has he meant to you? What was your relationship like with him? I think I've known everybody for over 40 years now. <laughs> um, you know, no, Stan was always very generous to me. I look, I, I have people say this to me all the time, so I can say this about Stan. I, I was reading him when I was growing up, you know, and, you know, he was just prolific. I mean, I, you know, I remember, as a, you know, as a teenager and, and, you know, you'd read uh, hockey news and there would be Stan and there would be Hockey Illustrated and there would be Stan and there would be Sporting News and there would be Stan. And what I actually, I, I said to him at one point, I, <laughs> I said, you know, it was really interesting reading you in all these different publications. When you, of course, you pick the Stanley Cup winner every year because you picked a different one in every, in every, in every different publication, you know, so. <laughs> Listen, he, he is, you know, I don't know anyone, any writer, any member of the media who who honestly has, has been a better uh, advertisement for, for the game. I mean, he is not, nonstop publicizing it. Um, you can tell he, he loves the game. He does. He just loves the game. You know, his joy is, is palpable. Um, he doesn't take it too seriously. He doesn't take himself too seriously. So, he, you know, his, his uh, recognition is, is warranted. And, uh, you know, his late wife, Shirley, was a, a trailblazer in the industry. So, um, you know, the Fischlers were, were a mighty force. They really were. And, 
in a lot of ways, they, they changed hockey journalism. He, um, but he's, you know, then he went on to become a, uh, an analyst on television and, and, a, and, a, and a personality. And, and that's what he is. He's been, he's, he's been a joy to know. He's, he's, I'm fortunate to call him a friend. Well said, Larry. And uh, thank you so much again for your time. And we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, guys. Un petit peu, un petit peu. Our special guest this week is a familiar face to all of you, which is perfect for our first day on camera. He is a longtime broadcaster who has worked at Sports News Network, ESPN, and he is currently the host of the New York Emmy Award-winning MSG 150s forecast that airs during Knicks and Rangers games. Please welcome Bill Pito. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Great. Thank you guys for having me. I don't know if I'm the best uh, debut here for the on-camera portion of this podcast. <laughs> nonsense. Nonsense. You're a pro, so that's what we need. We, we need to feed off of you, actually. So you spent more than a decade working with my dear co-host here, Ron, so you are obligated to, to divulge all his preparation secrets and just what it was like working with him. I want to know how all of us get older and he gets younger. You right? He's a real life Benjamin Button here. I mean, Ron, you look uh, you look even younger than you did a year or two ago. Bill, I was just going to say you haven't looked so good since the last time I saw you. Good to see you. <laughs> it's the magic of the iPhone. So, Molly, when you work with Ron, there's always some supplement or some other. I don't. I, whatever he does, he's got the right answer. I mean, he's ageless, right? He is all that we hope for as we get older. I'll tell you that. Do you have any stories that aren't rated R, but maybe we could go up to PG thirteen with Ron? <laughs> the problem with Ron is a lot of these stories are beyond are R or worse. X rated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great working with Ron. I, you know, he's got a great intuitive feel for the game, and you know, the thing that I have uh, missed, Ron, and I, I'm looking forward to catching up here, is that you are always able to watch and tell ahead of time whether a guy's going to be good or not. This may be a silly question for an experienced broadcaster, but it was one of the first things that I wanted to ask you. With MSG 150, I mean, did it take you a couple reps to master burning through that many topics that fast? So we have an incredible producer, uh, Jeff Ostella, and he handles the timing. So his challenge is to, I have five seconds at the beginning and basically five seconds at the end. So that leaves 140 seconds of tape. And he always, I mean, after all of this time, he's got it down, but he has to fit all these clips into the time. You know, I, I came to MSG after years at ESPN. So thankfully I was comfortable with the highlight portion of it. And it's not like I'm winging it. I mean, I, I, um, I'm reading the highlights off a sheet or I've pre-written what, what happened the night before. So it's not like it's completely off the top of my head. Jeff comes up with the incredible content. He's on the, on the internet, on the web all day long, coming up with funny clips. And he's got the challenge of timing. The real challenge is uh, sometimes I do the segments without having rehearsed them. Sometimes we don't get a chance to rehearse, but he's got the real challenge uh, in putting the content together and making sure that it times out properly. When we made an announcement yesterday on Twitter that you're going to be on the show, so many people just said, we have a developing situation, (laughs) Bill Bill Pito. So that's your tagline. How did that, how did you come up with that? Was that just something that happened or? So I was on NHL Tonight, uh, the original host back in 95, and we had a goal light which would go to games when a goal was scored. So it was actually a siren. They would cut away to the, this, you know, a goal light uh, when there was an update. And somehow one night I just said, we have a developing situation. 
And I guess that's where it started and, and it, it kind of stuck. You go back and forth doing the Knicks and the Rangers. And you and I have talked about this before. And you're comfortable with both. But when you're watching basketball and you're watching hockey, which is the one that you – is there one that you prefer? Do you like them equally? Is it the Rangers? Is it the Knicks? What is it? Well, I, I love both teams. But, Ron, since I've worked with you, I, I don't – John Giannone's the main host of the, of the Rangers. And I'm, I do the Knicks now. I do the 150s on the Rangers. So a lot of those Instagrams are from the guys I work with on the Knicks broadcast. But that that doesn't change my interest in the Rangers. I will say I didn't grow up uh, around hockey. I'm originally from Manhattan. I grew up on the West Coast. I've kind of gotten into hockey as a broadcaster, but I played a lot of basketball and I've watched basketball my entire life. So I think I have more of an intuitive feel for when I'm watching a basketball game as to why things are happening. Now, you guys that have played, and Molly, you cover the sport uh, incredibly well and in-depth, I think have a, have a really good feel for why things are happening. i got to be honest, when I watch a game, kind of the game within the game, I'm not as astute as I am uh, in basketball. That's just because of my my years of, of playing basketball and, and watching basketball more as a young man and as a kid than I did hockey. And, Bill, it's got to be exciting that you have the Rangers as a playoff contender and the Knicks, obviously the Knicks a little up and down, in the same year. That makes business good for MSG. It makes you guys more money. And it makes it more fun because you went through so many years where the Knicks were trash, the Rangers were trash. Now everyone's good. Life is grand in the big city. And it's, uh, it makes the job a lot more fun on MSG. There's no question about that. It, as Ron can attest, it's not easy being on a postgame show after a loss or a string of losses. Let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> And the Rangers, they've been amazing. I mean, um, I don't know that anybody saw 14 wins in the first, what, 21 games. I don't think anybody saw that. I think they have an intangible quality, actually, that the Knicks had last year. There's something about the chemistry. Um, Ron, as an ex-player, you know, to the, know, can speak to this more than I can for sure. But sometimes there's an intangible chemistry on these teams. And it seems like the Rangers have that so far this year. I had a follow-up from earlier. What position in basketball did you play? <laughs> what do you th- I'm five seven, so what do you think? <laughs> left out, left out or point guard. So uh, I was gonna say two. power forward. <laughs> no. I was uh I was one of those athletes, unfortunately, that peaked uh, like in tenth grade. And there's yeah. nothing worse. And Ron, you don't know this because you ended up going all the way to the pros and had a great pro career. But when you're a, an eighth, seventh, eighth grade stud, so to speak, and then you peak in tenth grade. That can be very hard to deal with. And unfortunately, I never had my growth spurt. I never got taller than a refrigerator at home. Uh, but I, I actually played varsity basketball at my size. Unfortunately, my playing time as I got older diminished to the point that I didn't play a lot my senior year. But. Well, Bill, Molly's shooting guard. So we, have, say... we have a backcourt formulated between you and Molly. So there you go. Is that right, Mo- Molly? Did you yes. play a lot? Yeah, I can absolutely relate. I was so much taller than everybody else in middle school. I was a power forward. And then when I got to high school, everybody else just shot up around me. And like you said, my playing time just went on a downward trajectory. Ron, were you great in 10th grade? Uh, yes, I was. I, uh, okay. I, had a, <laughs> I, I to, yeah, I don't mean to brag on myself, but I was always bigger, taller, a little bit stronger than everyone else. And, and when you're playing hockey, there's definitely an advantage to doing to being that way. Bill, we can't let you go without you sharing with us. You're part of a book where they were then. What's that all about? Where, where can they pick up the book, by the way? Amazon.com uh, is a good place to go. So Scott Reese, who's a former ESPN anchor, had 15 of us. I'm one of the 15. Write a chapter about our first jobs in TV. <laughs> now, I don't know, Molly, where you started, if you've ever worked uh, like for a smaller paper. Ron, it's 
much like, and I don't know how often or how much time you spent in the minor leagues of hockey, but there's nothing like these 15 chapters where all of us started in places that you would not necessarily want to visit. I was in Binghamton, which, you know, nothing against Binghamton, but I was making $6 an hour uh, when I started out of Cornell. And it just goes, my chapters about my start in Binghamton and the other guys in the book are Scott Reese, John Butchergrass, Trey Wingo, a lot of other people that you may be familiar with. And it's all about the trials and tribulation of moving on from that first small market TV job. And it's, uh, it's pretty entertaining and pretty interesting for anybody that's interested in this business, that's for sure. That is an interesting topic, guys, because in this industry, you know, I've been in radio and podcasting. People go to Bumble, you know what, Iowa to make enough money to get eat ramen noodles every night. You know, one of my old roommate moved to Louisiana, was making 25 grand a year. I'm like, you know, that's like a night out in the city. Like, I, <laughs> I couldn't, like, after taxes, that's 18000 You might as well get food stamps at that point. So it's a very tough industry where you have to make a lot of sacrifices to go somewhere you may not want to be to make money you do not want to make and work your way up. So, Bill, uh, it's an inspiring story of you working your way to the big city and the Big Apple. Well, I joked that uh, six bucks an hour is my salary, but my rent was only $120 a month. So I was in better shape then than I am now. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why it's it's mostly broadcasters, I feel, because I had a couple of friends in college also that went out to Maine and, and just random places because that's where they could get airtime. And, you know, that's right. where you have to start somewhere. Ron, I, how much time did you spend in the minors, Ron? Did you- uh, none. Okay, so you <laughs> See, Ron and I have that in common. The New York Post is my first full-time job, so I can't, I can't really relate. I can't relate. You to guys started out the big time. Too. You guys are big timers from the beginning, man. <laughs> no, it builds character, Bill. It builds character. <laughs> Bill, speaking of big timers, uh, last night at Madison Square Garden, Stan Fisler was in presence, and he's being honored. And uh, you and I have both worked with him. What did he mean to you having him around? You know what? I cannot believe. I looked up his age, Ron. He's yeah. 89 years old. And maybe you were there the night we celebrated his 80th birthday. You remember that? We had the cake? Yes. And that's nine years. Of, I cannot, you know, he's, he, and you are a model for us to stay youthful and in shape. He is the model for longevity because <laughs> his spirit is unbelievable. His optimism, his energy. I think a lot of his mental outlook has had a lot to do with uh, him him still being so vibrant in 89. He's, he's an amazing guy. I couldn't agree more. Well, Bill, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we'll have to get you back on the show sometime soon. Awesome to be with you guys. Wow, it's been a fun week. All right, Ron, our first soiree into the video world is done. That wraps up episode 66 of Up in the Blue Seats, Route 66, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. And thank you, Jake and Andrew Hart, for producing the show. Oh, appreciate that, Ron. And, you know, we'll have to see who has the better blazers throughout this season of recording. And it's nice to do video because, obviously, you're attractive. Molly's attractive. Um, I blaze myself up with a nice laser and Andrew's a good looking dude and Andrew's a drummer so one time we'll have to watch Andrew drum he's a drummer for a country singer I think yeah right Andrew yep indeed I am yeah country singer country pop singer so you know you're a big music guy as well but we need to update on your situation is it a boy or is it a girl your daughter had the gender reveal what is it yeah that's right we did mention it on the last show so it's what we were all hoping for because they're my grandkids i have uh, three granddaughters and a grandson and we were hoping for another boy in the family 
And sure enough, it came out blue. And so for me, yes, I have a level of excitement over that because I adore my girls, my granddaughters, but I want a kid who, who potentially might be playing some hockey. All right, so we may have the hockey grandson finally in the works. That's number 10, Ron DeGay, Molly Walker, Jake Brown here, Andrew Hartz. We'll be back next Thursday. And keep an eye out for these video clips on social and the New York Post YouTube. We'll keep you posted when we have more details. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Enjoy the show and have a great weekend.